The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million. And this is the podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. And also, if you just want to get to know us better, you can do that by signing up for patreon.com slash name3songs, where we have a Discord and bonus episodes and other fun stuff. And with that being said, we're going to spice things up today because Jenna is going to tell us what we're talking about today. So Jenna, would you like to share with the audience? Oh my god, you guys, I'm so excited about this episode. On this podcast, we often talk about the toxic environments, how they exist with sexism, with mental health, with, you know, all of these issues that float around. And today we're going to empower you guys with some tools of how you can kind of like navigate these scenarios, hopefully give you some ideas of how to move forward in your life and not feel like the toxic environment is something that's so scary because not all of it is toxic. There are people out there putting in good work. So today we are going to be talking also about compassion and mindfulness, which you guys may or may not be super familiar with. So hopefully you guys will get a better understanding of that. Yeah, and Jenna actually introduced us to this wonderful woman named LJ, who she had us invite on the podcast to teach us about some like building blocks of how to deal with this stuff and why this stuff happens and like how to mitigate the effects of the toxicity. So Jenna, do you want to introduce everybody to LJ? Yeah, so LJ Malberg is the CEO of Compassionate Muse, where she's an executive coach and human first approach consultant. She specializes in workplace culture, mindfulness, and and interpersonal communications. Her work spans more than 25 years in music entertainment, going from being a dancer and a musician to a manager and a booking agent and even worked at Ticketmaster and Eventbrite. So she's really worked on all sides of the industry, which is cool. So we're really excited that she joined us today. So without further ado, LJ, thank you so much for joining us today. Yay, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So to get to know you a bit, little bit better, I know that you kind of got your start booking bands and I would love for you to share your story of why you go by LJ. Yeah, right. So about 26 years ago, I got into this business as a performer. I was a singer and a dancer and I primarily primarily made my bread and butter doing a Brazilian jazz weekly residency at a restaurant club bar in the San Francisco Bay Area and teaching ballroom dancing and competing in ballroom dancing. The dot-com boom was happening and there was a lot of interest for Silicon Valley organizations to have dance classes and I saw a need to become a contractor. So I started booking bands and dancers 
I sort of segued in. It was an interesting time because it allowed me to bridge the gap from being a performer to being a businesswoman and really sort of paving the way to represent other artists. I, I had danced my entire life. So coming into the business side of things really helped inform a new world for me. And I was really excited. And so the years went by and I actually ended up forming a boutique booking agency out of Berkeley, California called the LJM agency. Mm-hmm. And I got to work with a lot of amazing artists. There was a tipping point where it went from mostly dancers to mostly music and just a really exciting time. My biggest challenge to answer your question, Jenna, my biggest challenge was being a young woman in the business that not a lot of venues and promoters had heard of me and, and my work. And so it was a challenge twofold. One, I was inexperienced in the eyes of the commercial promoters and venues, but two, I was a woman and um, there were not a lot of women bookers back then. My role model at the time was Stormy Shepard. She had a business called Leave at Home Booking and she worked with mostly punk rock. You know, in order to get people to buy my bands, I would do a lot of door knocking. I did a lot of sales trips. It was really hard going as a young spirited entrepreneur who believed in my artists. I believed in my bands and I knew the quality of them. And I was watching like some other like similar caliber bands and similar genres get sold to these venues and promoters and that they were being represented by men. So what I did was uh, my name's Leah Joy. And what I did was I condensed it to my initials LJ. And I had an email with the letters LJ in it and also my signature was LJ. And that's when I noticed people starting to get back to me when I did this EB testing of I would call these people, they would never get back to me. But when I sent them an email with the condensed name version, they would almost always get back to me, even if the answer was no, they would reply because they believe they were dealing with a man. Wow. So I am now LJ. I've been LJ for many, many years. I wear it as a badge of courage, but it's also a reminder of how far we've come as an industry where there are a lot more women in the business. Along the way, I've met a handful of other women that have had to use their initials. So this isn't a unique story, unfortunately, but just to drive the point home, You know, when I finally would confirm these shows via email and we'd advance the shows by phone and I finally get somebody on the phone, I get things like, oh, wow, I didn't realize you were a woman. You're so (laughs) professional. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. And, you know, things like that would be said again and again and again, it would show up again and again. And I would just notice and then I would say to myself, you're damn right. I'm a professional. I am professional. I do all the things. I keep it buttoned up. I make sure that my bands are taken care of. I make sure that you're taken care of. You're the client. You're buying my bands. Right. And really trying to drive the professionalism point home in an overdone way, almost like I had to overcompensate my professionalism, where my male counterparts probably didn't have to work so hard. And as I've gotten into small business, 
mid-sized businesses and corporate in the music and music and tech industry spaces, that point has been proven again and again and again, that women have to work harder than men if apples to apples comparison in roles and responsibilities were compared. Like women work harder than men to get where they are and they have to speak up more because a lot of the time they'll speak and they aren't heard. So they'll have to repeat themselves or say it in a different way until they can be heard. It's been an interesting path, but wonderful learning. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for sharing that story because I feel like it's so poignant and just kind of like spot on of these experiences that we've mm-hmm. all collectively experienced in, you know, different various ways. And, you know, one of our mutual friends, Diana, was able to introduce us. And I was so glad because when I found out that, you know, your work now centers around compassion and mindfulness, I was so intrigued to learn more because that's something that I have always been interested in. And it's played a role in various parts of my life in different ways over the years. But when I think about the music industry, to me, like I think of it as this toxic place and <laughs> it's not a place where compassion lives and thrives. And so for me, it's always within this like internal battle of like feeling like I have to give up one side of myself in order to be part of the other. It's a scary feeling. And so that's why I really wanted to open up this conversation with you today of trying to figure out how we can combat these things, how they do go together and how we can move forward and think of ways to be able to not just cope, but, you know, tackle the toxicity that we're faced with when we come into an environment like the music industry. I also just feel like it's kind of, I don't know if ironic's the right word, but that like a lot of us don't feel like something like compassion could fit into the music industry because I feel like a lot of bands try and preach like, oh, this is a community, like this is a safe space, this is this, this is that. And then like the next thing you know, like some band on their bill is called out for doing something heinous or what have you and it's like they're building like a false sense of being compassionate to that degree because it's like okay how can you care when the people you're spending your time with and like agreeing to take on tour or whatever are like not necessarily the best kind of people so I think just that like double-edged sort of things <laughs> where it's you're never gonna land on the right side of it like it's always gonna kind of come back and bite you in the ass in some way or another so I completely like get what you're saying where it's like okay they claim compassion but like where is it so So just to preface conversation, because I do want to learn more about like your work and how these things go together. I would like to like talk about why we feel the music industry is a toxic environment and why that's a problem. Because it feels like, you know, I did some research on like the psychology behind this, like what is a toxic environment? And there's a lot of listicles that have a (laughs) lot of different things that are similar but different. And so there's no one X, Y, Z, this is what a toxic environment is. But I think Sarah, I would like to hear your thoughts on it and then LJ based on your experience I would like to hear from you well I mean you had pulled the interesting thing of like when there are the listicles like there are like key points that you can pull out that are key to what we think is a toxic environment and the ones that work within the music world so the whole like poor communication overworking sexual harassment discrimination like those ideas are very strong in the music industry I feel like and so I think that from my experience just as like a a journalist and a photographer in music there is that thing of it's like there's very little money in that sector of it and so there is that thing of like having to go to your day job that has nothing to do with music and then in order to try and make a career in music you have to continue working through the night so it's like you go to your normal like nine to five eight to six whatever it is and then the next thing you know you're like at a venue interviewing a band hopefully eating something going to the show having to network having to do all these things and so there's all of that just like no sleep bar you know (laughs) 
<laughs> like there's there's no rest you're just constantly going and because there is also that constant fear of like somebody replacing you so it's like if you're not there in the face of these people it's like oh okay like they're gonna forget me I'm not gonna have this anymore and then on top of that when you are interviewing artists as a female you do have that fear of them taking something the wrong way like if you're bubbly or if you're like the type of person that like when you're talking you like talk with your hands you like touch people like whatever these artists are so used to like people being interested in them in a different way than journalists are but because we have to like sort of pander to them there's always that kind of thing like oh like I've been left alone in a green room with a man I don't know and so I think that the toxicity there is just the fear of it all because I think it's just like they do play into each other because I think that like the things that create toxic environments especially in music is the constant fear of things (laughs) like going wrong Sarah, you nailed it. (laughs) It, It's it's fear. It's all fear-based. Our industry has lots of toxicity pockets. Yeah. It's not a hundred percent toxic or I think it probably die pretty quickly. We have a lot of pockets of it and it is fear-based fear of relevancy. I got to show up. I got to work overtime. I got to do the hustle thing because there's a million people behind me waiting to take my job. I've got to show up. I've got to do this show. I got to put on the face. I got to put on the front because there's a million people behind me waiting to sign with my agent who's about to drop me because if I don't show up and do these things, I'm going, I'm done. On the corporate side, it's fear-based. I have to do all the talking so that I sound important and I know what I'm talking about. And if I don't do that, people are going to think that I'm weak and I'm not contributing. Even though when I open my mouth, I am not actually adding any value. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. It's fear-based. Everybody is struggling with something. That's really the key is to realizing everybody is dealing with a certain amount of fear in this business Mm -hmm. in some capacity based on their own personal experiences and the way it was modeled to them. Traditionally, this industry comes from a predominantly male, predominantly white male led Mm -hmm. industry. And it's very transactional, this industry. It's very quid pro quo. And when you look at that objectively and you say, wow, Okay, I'm in a room full of people who are afraid (laughs) of something and, you know, they need something in order to give something. That's usually how people in the music industry traditionally have looked at things. It kind of reframes the way we can think. And that doesn't mean we have to bend over and overextend ourselves or that we can be boundaryless. We still need to take care of ourselves too, right? Mm -hmm. But it means that we recognize that it isn't actually about us. It's about them because they've made it about them because they're afraid. So because this industry is male dominated, and I believe still to this day, our industry is over 70% men. I still, I think maybe it's in the 60 percentile now, but this point we're still seeing unequitable exchanges gender wise. And so if you're in a room full of fearful men, that looks different than being in a room of fearful women. Yeah. 
women tend to band together. Women tend to be more communicative. Women tend to be more community oriented. Where men, you know, there's a lot of, I have to put on a face and I have to be strong and I have to, you know, all of the things and the ways that they were conditioned and brought up in this industry to be by the men for them. I think it's interesting that you say that because I was just thinking like a lot of like the issues that I've personally had with men in the industry has been them sort of being afraid of me because I'm just like strong and outspoken and being like, okay, I've been hired to do a thing by somebody who's not you, but like you're telling me that you're in charge of them. (laughs) And so now you think you're in charge of me, which isn't the case because I don't know you. And I think a lot of the times like I'll come and I'll be hired by a band and like a manager will be like, oh, well, this is what I want. And I'll be like, well, are you paying me for that? Like, is that what's happening? Because this is what the band wants. And so this is what I'm doing. And then the manager will have like all these thoughts and feelings about it, but not want to like pay extra. Cause I mean, like with photography and I'm sure like Jenna, you've probably had similar scenarios where Mm -hmm. a band wants one thing. And then a manager is like, well, I want like marketing photos. And it's like, well, marketing photos and band stuff are two completely different things. And if you want me to take Getty stock images, that's like a thousand dollars a pop. You can't just pay me the same dinky price that I'm allowing this band to pay me because you're using things for different reasons. Yeah. And so I feel like men's response to fear is to try and like make you feel small and try and make you feel like less than. And that's where like the toxicity comes into play is like, it just feels very toxic because you can tell that like, okay, like I have to work with this person, but I'm going to make them fucking miserable. Whereas at least most of the time in my experience with working with women, if there is an issue, they'll be like, okay, here's the issue. And they'll talk about it unless they are of that sort of age, like over like 55, where they're taught to just be a man and that's the only way to succeed and then they treat you the same way which has happened more so to me in like the journalism realm than in music stuff but I do think it's interesting of like how you're saying like women will communicate and try and like get things done because from my experience that's exactly what has occurred I hear what you're saying and I also think that there's an additional dynamic there and I'm making an assumption because I don't know this manager in this <laughs> band but I know that it's applicable to lots of scenarios and and things that I too have experienced. This industry culture is predominantly crisis management. Yeah. They're not great planners. Most (laughs) of us are not great planners. Most of us, I'm guilty of this and I've done a lot of work and I shouldn't use the word guilty because there's a lot of great qualities to being a crisis manager, Mm -hmm. but I've done a lot of work to, if if planner is over here and crisis manager is over here, I've done a lot of work to get to the middle, Yeah, Yeah. um, you know, where I can wear both hats and perform well in both areas. But by nature, I inherently err on the side of crisis management. And so, you know, I would say that a lot of managers that tends to be the personality is I'll deal with it when it's in front of me. I don't want to talk about it weeks in advance. Manager comes in last minute, like day of photo shoot to, you know, throw it off track because this person has a different vision and they're thinking business, 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 really what we need is that. And you're like, but I already had all of the planning conversations. Now we're in the doing part. And so proactive communication with, you know, decision makers in this business, it's harder to come by because there's so many cooks in the kitchen and it can be thwarted by crisis communication, crisis management types of personalities. Mm -hmm. And when you're in crisis, 
in general, you're not very considerate of other people because you're in survival mode. So your world gets very small, very quickly. As you know, like when you're super stressed and you're in crisis, you just have to deal with what's right in front of you. So taking care of the photographer is not in the picture. And additionally, you've got this male, female gender dynamic now where you're feeling small, which is bullshit. You should never feel small. And that is something in my work that I am constantly trying to shift for people in our industry. The question is, is why do we as women, you know, why don't we as women feel empowered to speak up and be strong? Why are we waiting to, and this is not directed at you, Sarah, but in general, why are we waiting to be invited to the table? Why are we waiting to speak up and speak our mind? Again, I believe it's fear-based. You know, we have a history of backlash for doing things like that. It's just not safe to do things like that, so to speak. Maybe not physically unsafe, but certainly emotionally unsafe. And possibly there are ramifications to getting future work or getting a promotion, or there's lots of issues that can be attached. I just want to throw in a few stats to kind of reaffirm what we've already said. LJ, you actually found this study, Be the Change, Women Making Music. So it will be linked in our show notes if you guys want to learn more. It's from this year. One of the stats they have here, sexualization and objectification are a consequence or symptom of unbalanced power dynamics as shown by the next big three challenges, which are ageism, lack of access access to male-dominated industry resources and lower pay. So, you know, it's it's so easy to discuss these issues that we feel are affecting us and then to see it like presented by an actual study. It's validating, I guess, to know that like it, it's a real problem. Like we're not making it up because I think it's easy to feel like we're made to feel like we're, we're making it up. And another overarching thing they found in this study was that these major challenges are symptomatic of deeper issues of systemic male dominance, permeating industry attitudes, and behaviors and over 90% of the respondents said that they had experienced unconscious bias. Nearly half of them said that they experienced this frequently. So yeah, I'll give you space to respond if you would like. And then also moving into that, going into your definition of compassion. So unconscious bias and power dynamics in the workplace are definitely a real thing. And they are starting to shift because of conversations like these. So Mm -hmm. we're having more and more important conversations and really shedding light on what this even is. A lot of us are so busy in our day-to-day work that we don't really focus on this sort of stuff until it's too late. (laughs) Somebody files a, a, a sexual harassment report or otherwise. And it's such a shame that it has to get to that point. So the more that we have conversations like these, the more proactive we can begin to be in shifting the dynamic at work, the power dynamic at work. And there are several different kinds of power dynamics. It can show up in different ways. I believe, and my work shows, the data shows in compassion-based work within music shows that when we start with ourselves and we lean on our core values, we, we know our own value. We intrinsically know our own value. And we're really clear about that. Then we start to show up in ways that are extremely powerful to those around us at work. And it's in ways that aren't ego-driven, which 
is really fucking cool because, you know, when we take our ego out of it, then we are service. We're being of service. Mm -hmm. We're adding value. And people love that. People love that. We're in the service business. And we show up and we give of ourselves wholeheartedly. So not quid pro quo. I'm not doing it because I'm expecting something back. I'm doing it because I want to do it no matter what. And I've checked in with myself beforehand and I feel good about doing it no matter what, then I know I could do it. In those instances, things start to shift and we do the work because it works. The work of mindfulness, the work of compassion, because it works. And, you know, to the the rebuttal of, well, there's maybe no place for compassion or I'm confused where compassion can live in the music industry. That's great because that's a great place to start. We should be confused because historically it really hasn't had a home and, you know, it absolutely can have a home, but the home it's within us. And it, I know that sounds super woo woo, but it's, (laughs) it's not any kind of bullshit. Like that's a real thing. If I show up, and I'm in my power, I will shift the energy in the room just by being there. I may not even have to say anything. And I've seen this work again and again and again. I have now in three and a half years of working as the founder and the CEO of Compassionate News and and now the global online community co-muse, I am seeing these shifts actually happen in rooms, in real rooms in the music and music and tech space. That's incredible. Like incredible. I mean, because I think we can all think of instances where you can tell the difference between someone who's like you said, ego driven and someone who's very like centered within themselves. Just you can tell by the way they carry themselves, the way they go about things, the way their thought processes. And also, I love what you just said about the energy in the room shifting. I think you can also tell that too and a lot of times it's a very calming presence and I would say that's how I feel talking to you of like you have this very calming presence about you you're beautiful I love it thank you so much for saying that so I'd like to say that I am calm most of the time but that doesn't mean that I don't feel sad that I don't get melancholic that I don't feel angry and pissed off I absolutely have my moments and but I meditate a lot And I fuck up every day. (laughs) It's the balance. It's the balance. And it's the practice of meditation that's helped me. Meditation is really good for putting space in between the thoughts. Thoughts are the stories that we tell ourselves about what's going on. And the stories that we tell ourselves, that's our perspective. So there are other people in the room also telling themselves stories about what's going on. And they may be telling themselves different stories because they have different experiences and perspectives, right? Mm -hmm. And so part of the work of compassion-based work and what we do at Comuse as an executive coach and an organizational consultant for music and tech is we get everybody talking. We get everybody talking. It's really heavily built on interpersonal communication skills, working through, gaining perspective, assuming the best of people, not the worst. Because when we go in assuming the worst, we've already shut ourselves down from any opportunity of having a bigger or a different kind of a conversation. So that's not fair to us. That's not fair to me. That's not fair to you, right? So just keeping an open heart, keeping an open mind and going in into the environment where if we're dealing with somebody really difficult at a band who's clearly demonstrating chauvinistic personality traits or narcissistic 
personality traits. Again, those are all fear-based traits. So Mm -hmm. going into that, you know, recognizing, okay, this person is clearly dealing with something. I don't need to pity them. That's an ego thing. I don't Mm -hmm. need to do that. All I need to say is there's another human in the room that's dealing with some shit right now and they're having a really hard time. And while I am not going to allow them to make me feel small, because that's a choice. So I'm not going to let them do that to me. I choose to stay in my power. Both things can be true. And that's where the power starts to shift. So now you've got two people in the room that believe that they're standing in their power, maybe for different reasons, but it starts to shift. So you'll start to have different kinds of conversations. You'll notice that maybe the conversations become more permission-based. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Is that okay? Little things you'll start to notice or, oh, I'm sorry where they'll never apologize before or ask you a question. Hey, so, you know, so what do you think about this? So now, now they are starting, the shift is that they're starting to be more inclusive in the conversation. So it's a total journey. It's a total process. I feel like I'm kind of building a very big sort of vague picture of what compassion-based work is. (laughs) And I don't mean to be confusing because there are real building blocks to it, but I wanted to share, you know, big vision, what's possible when this kind of work happens. And it's so cool. It's so cool. (laughs) So, I mean, Jenna and I have spoken a few times about how in the music industry, because there is like the hierarchy and these levels and all that sort of things that even when there is HR in place, the HR doesn't seem like they have as much control as in other places they might. And also like when you enter into the touring world or just working directly with bands, like there's so many contractors, so many different people, there is sort of like no HR. There's nobody there to like rein things in should things go bad. And so I guess from that, what led you to realizing that like, oh, if you teach this mindfulness and compassion training to people in the music industry, that it can sort of fix, not fix, but like, I guess sort of fix, like help help that issue of the fact that there is no, I don't know, <laughs> like, because I feel like we're, we put a lot on HR when like HR really is there just to like save the ass of like the, co- the company in the long run. But the idea of it is that they're supposed to help you. But it sounds like you're going in and like properly giving people these building blocks to make it feel safer. So like what sparked this? Like, how did this even come about that you decided to go and do this and realize it could help? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com.
That's such a great story. So it's kind of a combined experience of all my years in the business and having my ass grabbed by senior executives and having my ass grabbed by a client and finding myself fearful in a room with all men when I was Mm -hmm. very young and vulnerable and hungry and wanting to move up in my career, but knew that I made the choice to keep it strictly business Mm -hmm. and sort of talking about power dynamics, you know, I, there were certain situations where I absolutely almost had to hint at the possibility that maybe there could be a hookup in somebody's future with me if they did business with me, but I would never go there. It was just, you know, and finding myself in a situation, this was a lot earlier on in my career where I hadn't realized yet that there were more tools to put in the toolbox, hmm. to be able to rise up in business. And I knew what felt bad to me. I knew what felt uncomfortable. I knew when I felt vulnerable. I knew when I felt threatened. Mm-hmm. I knew when to physically remove myself from a room. But as an ambitious, fiercely independent, outspoken woman, I also put myself into situations where I felt a lot of fear in hopes that I could work through that and get a seat at the table. So those combined experiences combined with watching younger women come up in the business and hearing their stories of harassment and silencing and sexual harassment and watching my friends of color work in very specific parts of the industry, but couldn't seem to like bridge the gap to other parts of the industry. So hearing all of these stories, watching my friends in the LGBTQ community being told that it's cool that you're gay, but when you show up at work, you can't be gay. You just be a worker you know, and sort of check who you are at the door sort of thing. So all of these very confusing combined experiences, along with being on both sides of the table when people got laid off and when being laid off and understanding that there's definitely a better way to do that. And we're not good at it at all. And, you know, so just To wrap it all up in a bow, the the biggest issues that we have in the music industry aren't music related. Yeah. They're relationship based. And so seeing a need for that and how to have good, healthy, longstanding relationships with, with the people that we work with and for and who work for us. If we have all the tools in the toolbox, we can have those types of relationships. It's totally possible. And I'm loving all of these organizations that are bubbling up now that are doing amazing work around mental health and wellness. And there's a lot of mental health issues in the music industry, as you know, statistically, we've been hit really, really hard in that area. We're an industry of artists with deep feelings, and it's hard to deal with all of those feelings. They can be very confusing and alienating and isolating. And if we don't have help and support, it could be, you know, a downward spiral for many of us. So all of these organizations that are doing the work in mental health, in therapy, and now I'm starting to see a lot of coaches bubble up, which is really cool, where there really wasn't a lot of space in the industry for coaching, other than like specifically music coaching. But now 
business coaching. So I'm an executive coach. I'm a certified business coach. I know of just off the top of my head, five other women in the industry that are doing amazing work in coaching. Um, Suze Polinski is doing coaching as the rockstar advocate, and she works with artists and business people in music and we've got health and wellness coaches. This is Equilibrium is doing great work. That's Marnie Wandner and Nicole Blonder. All three of these ladies uh, are doing amazing work, but you can see now that there is a real need for this because we're not alone. This is a community of people, but sometimes we operate like, oh my God, I got to do all the things all by myself and I got to make it and I got to prove it and I got to do all of the, you know, and and it's really a lot of pressure for a person to take on that. And you don't have to do it that way. There's another way to do it. So I'm really big on community. Sarah, you talked a little bit about fixing and what compassion does is it, it it's an empowerer, not a fixer. So a fixer would make me, I'd be a guru and I am no, <laughs> there's no fucking way on that. And I don't want that responsibility. That's not what I want. No. But what I want to do is I want to teach and I want to, as a coach, empower people with the tools to go do the work themselves and then have their own experiences. So my experience will be different from your experience. And they're all our truths. So we can honor all of that together. I think where we get into trouble in this business is we think everything is very binary. It's got to be this or this. It's an ultimatum. That's not how it works. There's a lot of gray. So I believe if we show up in the gray, we'll be doing some pretty good work. There's so much you've said that has just like sparked different thought <laughs> processes in my brain and I'm trying to like collect them all. So two things come to mind. First, I wanted to like briefly go back to what you said. You mentioned people who have narcissistic behaviors and those tendencies and Sarah and I spent an episode talking about specifically mental health as it relates to men in music because a lot of times they're the ones who are more kind of marginalized in that conversation. And we looked at like the psychology behind like narcissism and then narcissistic like characteristics and how it leads to like gaslighting and just emotional manipulation and that whole thing spirals into lots of other complex issues. So I think it's really interesting that you brought that up because I feel like there's a whole, and Sarah and I joked about this before, there's a whole meme about the like indie skater boy who's gonna gaslight you and like this whole, I'm like, <laughs> that's how prevalent it is in music is that there's a whole joke about it. There's a stereotype about that. And then the other thing that came to mind as we were talking was just the fact that it feels like you are always fighting for the seat out of the table. Like you're always trying to like climb over whatever else or do these obstacles and you're always reacting to whoever else is in the room. And I think for me, it, it was kind of this revelation when you said you can show up and realize, hey, that person is exhibiting these types of characteristics there's clearly something beyond the surface there and you don't have to like feed into that i think that's really powerful because yeah because yeah because it's so <laughs> rampant because there's an indie meme joke about these types of people the way i think about it so i'm not a mental health professional and i don't diagnose people but i do notice patterns and behaviors and personality types that i work with and i work with a lot of different types of people and predominantly men uh, because it's predominantly male industry. And so when I think about all the personalities that I work with in this business, they tend to fall into two different buckets. I think about it as we're a business of service and we are either people pleasers 
or we're people needers, right? So uh, people pleasers are we give, we give, we give, we give, we want to please until it hurts because our weakness is we're not very good at setting healthy boundaries for ourselves. So we don't know when to shut it off. We usually have to overextend and then we're in pain and then we're like, oh shit, I'm going to get sick or I'm going to do something I'm going to regret or that sort of, you know, danger, danger zone territory. That's the people pleasers. And I certainly come from that world. And then there's the people needers and they tend to exhibit some narcissistic behaviors. And again, I'm no mental health professional. I can't say that they're narcissists, but you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of narcissism on the people pleaser side too, because it's ego driven. I'm doing this because I'm so good at giving, 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 giving. It's almost martyrdom, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and we have to check ourselves on both sides because at the end of the day, we don't need to give and take until it hurts. We don't need to do that. We can be in the middle and give and take in a space that feels great. And it, it can't be 100% of the time, but we have a lot of room for growth here. And so that's the work is getting everybody to sort of move to the middle because it feels better there. It works better there. We make more money there. The data shows we make more money there. We are more collaborative there. We're more inclusive there. We're more diverse there. It's a better space and a, certainly a more sustainable space to live. So you had mentioned boundaries just then, and I think this is something that a lot of us struggle with, as you just said, on both sides. So I think especially for our listeners, how do you set personal boundaries? How do you show up with them? How do you voice them so that people know where your boundaries are? Because if you don't voice them, people will take from you and they don't know that you're upset about it. <laughs> just on top of that, just really quickly, I mean, like, I feel like in the music industry, like I said earlier, boundaries feel impossible because again, there is that thing of like, oh my God, like if I set this boundary, someone else probably won't. And so it's just, I feel like on top of what Jenna's saying, there is also that of it's like, number one, you want to please people. You want to do things because you want to be there. So you're eager and you're taught that like, oh, like when you're eager, you do this. But on top of that, it's also that thing of like, oh my God, if I set this boundary, someone might not. And then what's going to happen there? Exactly. Yeah. So like fear-based boundaries, or sometimes I call them fake boundaries. We set boundaries, but then, uh-oh, something happens. So then we break through that boundary that we set for ourselves because we're so afraid for whatever reason. Again, fear of relevancy. There's a lot of reasons to be fearful. And, you know, this business has thrived on fear for so long. So it's almost a habitual reaction in the way that we have been modeled to coming up in this business business. So how do you set boundaries is such a great question. So there's, there's two parts to setting boundaries. The first part is you actually have to identify what you are and aren't willing to do, because I don't think a lot of us, well, I know in my work, a lot of us haven't bothered to check in first. Yeah. So if you haven't had that conversation with yourself, you can't expect anybody else to follow suit because you're not showing up in essentially in agreement with yourself that this is the deal. The second part is, and especially in music, your words have to line up with your action. Okay. So it's not enough just to say something. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this then you actually have to follow through with that. There's an accountability piece to it. So if there's no accountability, if you're not holding yourself accountable to that boundary, then the person on the other side is like, 
well, that was a bullshit boundary. And now they've set the precedent that the next time they set a boundary, it might be a bullshit boundary. And so if you're not going to for yourself, then other people see that as, well, then they don't have to either. The reason I love that is because it really puts the control back in our seat to a certain extent. So in a situation where you're working in an in a work environment where you have, if there's a hierarchy, you have a boss, you know, you have a manager and maybe you have people reporting to you, you know, there's a hierarchical model mm-hmm. here. If the boss says you need to do this and it's aligned with your job or it's part of the culture to pick up a shovel and go do the thing, then you have to decide if that thing feels like it's overextending you, you have a choice. You can say, okay, I could take on this extra piece of work and I know we somebody needs to do it. Somebody's got to get it done. I can make a choice to do this work or not. I still, at the end of the day, have a choice. Now, there are ramifications to not doing work when your boss asks you to do something, you know, and depending on the relationship you have with your boss, if they're in power and they are abusing their power and they're holding it over your head, like you're going to get fired if you don't do this thing, or I'm not going to promote you if you don't do this thing, you still have a choice to decide if you want to move forward or not. You could also make a choice to get another job. But I know that there's a lot of fear around that because money is the stability that we need to move forward. And we want to work in music. We want to earn a living in music. I've done it both ways where I earned a living not in music. And then I earned a living in music. I sort of transitioned over. So I I understand the fear. You still, at the end of the day, you have a choice of whether you take on this work or not, because we are and should be in control of our minds, you know, so we should be having conversations and check-ins to understand where we feel our boundaries are and what we're willing to extend and what we're not willing to. And that's not just work. That's life. That's, that's how we should show up in life with all of our relationships. So that takes a lot of practice. That's not an easy thing. That's not an overnight thing. Oh, I'm going to just start saying that. No, it doesn't really work like that. I wish it did, but it really takes a lot of practice. You got to get your chops. (laughs) And that's where, you know, Comu's community is helpful because people are constantly being sounding boards for each other and talking it out and there is support there and it's an empowerment model. So here are the tools. Now let's practice them together. Let's get really good at this thing. Yeah. And now go do it. Go be accountable for your life, for your career. It's like giving them the tools for their belt to sort of like figure out how to put everything into place to be that strong person you want to be. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so powerful. I do find it interesting that a lot of it does come back to like the fear of it all because we are in these like industries that are very much like there's a line out the door waiting (laughs) for like the job that you have and I think for basically my whole life like I've sort of had that because I mean starting at 18 I've been interning at magazines and like working in journalism and that is I feel like an industry that has very loudly been unionizing and doing a lot of work to sort of put boundaries in place to be like, we deserve to be paid correctly. Like we deserve rights. We deserve all these things. And I feel like in due time, the music industry is probably going to be following suit just because like a lot of these 
journalistic entities have been getting their unions recognized and all this stuff. But I mean, even on top of that, it's like there is just that constant fear of like, oh, if I don't know the right person, I'm never going to get a job. Oh, if I do the wrong thing, like someone else is going to have my job. And at least from my experience, like even in journalism, they will come up with a reason to fire you. Like you'll just get fired if they don't like you, even though that's not something that's supposed to be allowed. Like these people just have that much power that that's possible. And then with like my second job being in the music industry with everything constantly being that toxic thing of like, oh my God, oh my God, like when's the roof going to fall in on me? It's very good and inspiring that there are people out there that are sort of being like, hey, like if we all start working towards fixing this, we can fix it. And I think that a lot of like what pushed Jenna and I to do this podcast and like actually move forward with it was sort of being like, hey, we're all in this together. We all are having these conversations privately on our own because I think that every time like we would make new friends in the industry, like once you get to that friendship level where you can like start talking about stuff, you all have the same issues and you all run into the same problems. And so it's like, okay, well, clearly there's a problem here. So maybe if we start talking about And I think like with this podcast, we're talking about the issues with the media and the issues with the music industry and how they sort of glom onto each other in those ways and pick apart people's worst traits, if that makes sense. And so it's just interesting that the fear plays so much of a part in it. We're also just like the empowerment, like how they can go hand in hand and like negate each other in a way. So it's just been interesting, like hearing when you can empower yourself, you don't have to be afraid anymore. (laughs) I love that, Sarah. Yes, it's so true. When you feel empowered, a lot of the fear goes away. I'm still afraid every day. Fear is a human emotion, but the empowerment helps you. It it gives you the courage to work through the fear, even though it's there, knowing that something good is going to come out of it on the other side or something better, maybe something you never even imagined. It would look different than you have ever imagined would come out of it. And I've experienced Mm -hmm. that too. You know, there's a big disconnect in the industry. We have a need for speed and we're relationship based. Well, everyone knows that relationships, real relationships take time and now everything's tech-based. So, you know, everything, the iteration process and sprints and development and rollouts and rollbacks and all of the things that are happening on the tech side are happening simultaneously with the slowness of, you know, it's just a weird juxtaposition, you know, the slowness of developing real deep true relationships with people that we want to work with. Yeah. And one can get in the way of the other. And unfortunately, historically, the people part tends to get pushed by the wayside because it can't be rushed. Real relationships, you know, we feel it when people are being fake to us. We feel it. So it can't be rushed. It's a thing that we have to feel our way through. And I don't know about you, but I prefer to work with people that are interested in shifting the industry. That's my work. And those people tend to think deeply and therefore a little bit more slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of frustration comes up in that area against the need for speed. A lot of conversations I have are like around pushing tech aside, but we can't do that either. We have to coexist because this is the state of our industry. We're all here living together, the tech and the people. So what can it look like to move forward in a more holistic way? rather than this weird siloed thing. And I think if we can answer that, we'll find ourselves in a different place. 
I am just so in awe and fascinated by <laughs> everything you said. I just like, uh, awe-inspiring, but also just like so making me think so reflective. Like I just, uh, I love it all. So thank you. <laughs> I have one final question and that is for our listeners because we've, you know, we've talked about a lot of different ways you can learn to empower yourselves, but what's one simple step they can take or one resource or something where, where, like, where can they start off, you know? So the first place that they can start uh, an app that might help them be quiet with themselves or a space in their home where they can go and they can be quiet, where you can go and you can check in. Now, I'm a huge advocate for meditation. I've been a daily meditator for over 21 years now, and it's a big part of helping to elevate my work. So I love meditation. It's challenging and it's still hard to this day. And that's why I do it because doing that kind of work, it's the process of, you know, just sitting still, sitting quietly and checking in with yourself to see how you're feeling in that moment. If you're feeling angry, if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling good and honoring whatever it is in that moment, it's okay. It's totally okay that you're feeling that way because trying to push that shit aside, that's a really bad idea because yeah. that, that'll come back and bite you. So yeah. So just taking a moment, even if you set like a one minute timer on your phone, any sort of amount of time that feels good to you, try to do that once a day, just check in and see how you're doing, because that will help inform how you move forward into your conversations and relationships at work. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to show up at being awake in your life and being aware of where you are. So that's the first thing. The second thing is community. And I cannot stress the importance of this enough. We are, again, I, I mentioned this earlier, but we kind of come from a culture of we could need to go it alone. We have to prove to ourselves that we can do it. And we take on all of this work and all this responsibility that we're going to make it happen in this business. But nobody is an island and everybody needs support. Everybody needs support. And so community is so important. You know, it's important to listen to what other people say, but it's also important to show up and go first and be vulnerable mm -hmm. in how you're feeling, because chances are, if you're brave enough to do that, you've just connected with somebody else in the room that feels that same way. And you've just given them some courage to be okay with it and to speak up. And again, that's a great way to shift our culture moving forward. So community is huge. And uh, if people are interested in coming to Comuse, it's been a very segmented community, meaning in different channels, lots of wonderful conversations across many different channels around the world. But now, um, uh, finally, I'm putting it together on one platform. So we're all going to finally come together, which is really exciting. And that's happening this year. So if people are interested, they can get on the wait list and we'll send out announcements about what that's going to look like coming up. But I'm really excited for that because I think a lot of really important conversations will happen there that will elevate people. I'm going to sign up. I'm excited <laughs> about it. We will I'm put so the excited. links in the description. So if any of you listening want to check it out, you will have that readily available to you. And I just want to say, LJ, a big thank you for your time today. Thank you for sharing this wonderful information with us. I hope our listeners are feeling just as inspired as I am right now. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. It's such a pleasure to talk with you both. You're amazing. And I wish you both continued success in all of your fun and creative endeavors. Jenna, thank you so much for introducing LJ to me and pitching her for this 
the idea because I love Yay, this. I'm I, glad. Yeah, because I, I feel like a lot of the underlying thoughts of why we've done a few of the past episodes has been to focus more on the like empowering fangirls idea of what we're talking about while we are still functioning in the like the sexism of things. But I feel like that will feel very empowering. And I hope you guys feel empowered by it because I mean, even I did and I'm usually like a skeptic of everything. <laughs> yeah, come share your thoughts. I want to know what you guys thought about this if you feel empowered now because yeah this I mean I already said in the episode like it's very important to me resonates a lot with me and so I think one of my biggest takeaways is realizing that you do have the power within you to make change because I think a lot of times you know Sarah we talk about like it's gonna take the CEO of a company it's gonna take an HR person to like set the tone Mm -hmm. but you still individually can choose how you show up in your own life yeah you can choose whether or not you want to feed into the fear that's running around in the room or not yeah because i mean we do say a lot like it takes important people to make changes but also if you in your department can start making little changes and like other people seeing that you're making those little changes like it'll rub off on people you know yeah (laughs) it's like having a bubbly friend like you're all of a sudden gonna be like excited no matter who you are as a person yeah and i think it's important to remember because Somebody recently asked us, like, I I guess, like, the question is kind of just, you know, what can be done, you know, because we often talk about, you know, challenging sexism, like, what Mm -hmm. can be done? Like, how can I support this cause? You know, it's not always looking to like, it's not always looking to like the CEO to lead things. Like, I think a lot of times the answer to that really comes down to the individuals who are already putting in the work, the individuals who have created those communities, who are being the activists, who are being the advocates and joining those communities, being part of it, continuing the work they're doing learning from them like you don't have to fight this fight alone know that there's others out there that are along the same journey as you yeah and I mean we have a pretty large reach at the moment with with the podcast so I mean if you just like show up in our comments on social media and stuff like you're gonna find other like-minded people like we have through our discord through the patreon like everyone's just like so smart like that's the one exciting thing about having a podcast that is so like niche down is like every person that's listening has at least a few things in common so if you're trying to find people to find a space literally just go look through our instagram followers (laughs) (laughs) just like find someone who looks cool make them your friend (laughs) it's like that's your homework Oh my goodness. But yeah, so if you do have thoughts and feelings about this episode, we definitely would love to hear them. And I'm sure Jenna could talk to you for hours about this. So yeah. definitely come slide in our DMs. <laughs> We're at Name Three Songs on all social media platforms or personally, you can talk to us. I'm at Sarah underscore Fagan and Jenna is at Jenna underscore Million. So thanks for joining us on Name Three Songs. Until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band. And you're never too cool to listen to Harry Styles. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review they really help if you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode you can visit name3songs.com it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.